So Porik was saying this morning, uh, at some point he said, we're, we don't have to be um, too mechanistic about meditation or our preparation for meditation or our evaluation of it. And he said, we're not a machine, but a person. And that's, of course, at the heart of all real healing, that we know and we act on that knowledge that the person we are treating or, the, or that we ourselves treating ourselves uh, are not machines, even though we may be using machines to measure us or treat us, we're not machines, but we are human beings. And that, of course, is easily forgotten in a highly technical, technological world where we can do wonders with machines and with drugs and, and so on. So this uh, remembering that we are a wonder, we are wonderful, you see that in the children's description of meditation. They immediately get back even though they've had a fight with their little brother or they are feeling worried or they're feeling frightened or whatever, you know. They seem to have this gift through meditation of being able to go right back to what is really essential about themselves, about us, which is that we are a wonderful being, a wonderful personal being. And this is what we see in, the, uh, in those, these stories that we've been looking at a little in the uh, healing uh, stories of Jesus. So I think it's worth reflecting for a moment about the relationship between prayer and healing. It's very natural when you are ill or you have a major disturbance or worry or loss that you can't do anything about, at least not immediately. You feel helpless. So when that happens, we look around for help. And if our mother is not there or, you know, someone who's going to save us. Uh, it's very natural that we look for a higher power. And this is where a certain kind of prayer comes into the picture. It's a very universal way of prayer. I was in a, a, ch a temple in, I think it was in Taiwan actually, um, and I was, I was in impressed by the crowds, crowds of people coming to the temple and I don't think they they had any different kinds of belief from what we would associate with, uh, with religious belief. Mostly the ancestors and some supernatural beings. But really they weren't very um, metaphysical. They weren't so much 
focusing upon anyway whatever they were doing it's difficult to get into another culture's mind but I said to the person who was with me I, I said what are they doing they were, there were crowds and crowds of people lining up and they lined up in, in rows to speak to one of the temple attendants. They weren't priests exactly, but sort of attendants at the temple. And I said, you know, they would line up and they would spend a few minutes with them. And then they would move on. And probably they gave some money. And so he said to me, well, my friend said to me, well, he said that they're asking for one of the things that people always ask for in the world. Good health, uh, prosperity, or fertility, or long life. <laughs> and that's it, really. It's, that's, the, that's the basic shopping list, isn't it? That's, those are the, the things we want. Good health, prosperity, longevity and what's the other one fertility so those are very universal I was I was actually here on the island once and we had a group of young people with us it was a young South American woman who was with us and um, I knew she was she had recently uh, come out of a relationship and she was talking to <coughs> someone else here and they seemed to be in deep conversation about something and then when she came back she was very eyes alight she said wonderful person she said she gave me this prayer so I said what was that she said, well, it's this, this great prayer, she said. You know, you just have to say it every day for 30 days and uh, you get whatever you want. And um, so she wasn't hiding the fact that what she wanted was a man. She was looking, looking for, you know, she was lonely and she wanted a... So... Uh, so I read the prayer and it was a long prayer it was at least a page long like this very florid and verbose you know. and then it, it said uh, so there was a certain effort in saying it probably took you half an hour to say it and then you uh, it, it, it said there were a few other little magical things attached to it I can't remember what they were but um, and if it was, but it was quite kind in a way because it said, "Well, if you can't say it every day, then at least or, or twice a day, at least say it once a day. And if you can't say it uh, even once a day, at least carry it in your bag, and it will still work." That's right. <laughs> You'll get a second or third rate. Yes. So anyway, we're, you know, that's how, uh, uh, that's a very universal approach 
to prayer, petitionary or and magical prayer, really. It's not, not the petitionary prayer has to be magical. Uh, in fact, it doesn't need to be magical. There's a kind of petitionary prayer where we may pray for things, but we're not, but we, we, we ground everything that we say or, or, or we are expressing out of our need with the phrase, thy will be done. So we're not really, it's not magical because we're not trying to change the mind of the universe or the cosmos or get God to see things our way or, you know, get God to change his mind, which is what magic, magic does. So, but there are subtleties in all of these attitudes to prayer. So, um, and then there are some research has been done uh, that claims, or you hear that research has been done, uh, that, um, you know, if a group of people pray for someone, even at a distance, uh, who's going through an operation or, or is very ill, this, that person gets better quicker than, than others. I was looking that up recently because, and I think it's, I, I don't know, but I, I think it's, maybe I have to ask Porik, but I think it's, it looks like false, false research because uh, all the examples that I could see said, you know, further research needs to be done on this and uh, very anecdotal. So uh, we would like that to be the case. It gives a scientific base today for a kind of magical thing. Then, on the other hand, life is a mystery and we belong in a great web of being and uh, we, can't, we can't be dismissive entirely of all these things. However, it isn't what prayer is about. Not in, the, not in its essential meaning and not in the meaning that you, you will find in the great wisdom traditions. This isn't what prayer means. Prayer, uh, as it really is spoken about, not as magic, but as transformational experience that leads us to wholeness, is what we see in the experience of these children. That what they are describing is a positive experience of prayer. And I don't think in any of these cases uh, any of these sayings, do the does the child ask for anything? The child may go into a period of meditation feeling very negative, very sad, or very upset because they've had a fight with, with their siblings, and they emerge from the meditation feeling renewed, feeling joyful and peaceful, and healed again. Uh, in many of these cases, you can see a, an experience, a transformation uh, has taken place, which we could say was a healing of the mind. Most of the magical prayers of healing are to do with the body, but and so on. So I think uh, I don't think we should be uh, frightened today, even in a secular world with a lot of medical research and scientific research being done around us, to be frightened of this, of the real meaning of prayer. And one day, the scientific world and the will have a different 
concept, different understanding of what prayer means. At the, mo at the moment it's dismissed, I think, as for magic and superstition and something flaky. But I think there is a, a, there's a real sense in which uh, we need to accept the reality of this experience of pure prayer, which is how the early teachers of this tradition called it, pure prayer. Because we're not pure because in the sense it is transcending the ego and even transcending the negative state that you may be experiencing. Yes, yeah. So, um, what, I, um, what I wanted to just look at with you, and, and we could discuss for a little while if you like, is another miracle story. We call them miracle stories, which in a way puts them into a different category, but I suppose they are miracles, but I think they're more than miracles. They're not just meant to be wonder stories. Oh, Jesus had this great gift, he could work miracles. Uh, I think the meaning of the stories is deeper than that. And that's why they're meaningful to us. That's why we engage with them. And that's why we don't interpret them as just saying, oh, let's find that magical technique which must have been at work for this miracle to have happened. That's not how we approach it. I think when we read these stories uh, thoughtfully and especially when we read them together, we find ourselves uh, becoming aware of, a, um, of another level of meaning in ourselves, in our lives. So we call them miracles and they look like miracles but they're really more than miracles. And the desert uh, teachers who gave us this tradition of meditation used to say that self-knowledge is, is more important to achieve or is a greater thing to have than the ability to work miracles. And we know from, uh, especially from the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus would tell his, the people who had benefited from his, his healing not to tell people about it. Now, why did he say that? He could have made a lot of money out of it. He could have got on television. You know, he could have. So why, why, why do you think he said that? You know, if he, uh, because they were one, he wasn't the only wonder worker around at the time. I mean, if, if, uh, if a medical researcher today comes up, there was a new drug, I forget what it was, it was in the paper yesterday, um, you know, that has to hit the headlines. You want the science reporters in the papers to get hold of it, and it's good for your career, it's good for your institution, and so you want to publicize it. But, uh, and at the time, uh, in Palestine, in the first century, there were a lot of wonder workers uh, going around, and they made a good living. 
and uh, they brought probably brought, brought, brought prosperity to their their little villages. So anyway, maybe maybe another reason is that he didn't want to be identified with this kind of reputation because he had another thing to do, another message to give, which would be overshadowed by you know the headlines of the Palestinian newspapers, um, you know, blind beggar cured outside Jericho by healer from Nazareth. So, um, what, what, what was he communicating? What did he want to communicate? Oh, no, put it like this. Um, why did he heal these people? If he didn't want it to get out. They asked him to on another hmm? They asked to be cured. They asked, and why did he do it? Compassion. Yes. Can you control compassion? No. Oh. Do you remember yesterday in the story of, of the woman with the hemorrhage? He felt power go out of him. Well, I don't think there's any scientific measurement for that power, but I'm sure people in the healing professions here could sense what that connection means. Remember we were saying that healing happens in relationship doesn't happen through a machine because you can't have a, you may be cured through a machine or a drug, but healing happens through relationship. And relationship is a flow, isn't it? Flow between two people or a group of people sometimes, but between two people. Um, and if this is, um, Compassion, which is essential to the healing process, is something that you just feel or you don't feel. Or you have, it comes out of you towards somebody in need, or it doesn't. I don't know if you can do a course on compassion. Like a family I knew, she, his, his boy's his man's sister, um, had gone for a, a, a breast uh, a cancer test, and it came up, uh, uh, what did you say, negative. It came, she, so she had something. But negative or positive? Positive. So she, so there was something positive, and. Um, so the family, it turned out, okay, in the end, but every, everybody was, of course, very she was young. She was a young mother, and everybody was very moved. So she sent a text immediately to all her family. And 
her, one of her brother, her, her brother, um, who has is somewhere a bit on the spectrum, uh, and a uh, little not not so easy with not so easy to express his feelings or anything. So his brother texted back, noted. <laughs> but but she was she just laughed because she she she, she knew that was as much as he could say for a while anyway. So would you say that compassion is a characteristic of human of of, the, of human nature? Yeah. Hmm. So the Dalai Lama says so some ways that you know this is our natural compassion is natural to us. Everybody naturally has this compassionate uh, capacity or capacity for compassionate response, but uh, not everybody seems to activate it, but we are more human when we have it or when we show it. So there's a lot uh, lot we can, there's a lot of uh, meaning here about wholeness. If, if compassion is a natural part of our humanity and we, are, we don't feel compassion or we can't allow ourselves to feel compassion, wouldn't it be true to say that we are less than whole? We have to allow ourselves to feel compassionate if we want to be whole, a whole person. So compassion is, is related to this quality of wholeness that we, we talk about and we spoke about wholeness as the source of healing. This is where healing, rather than just curing, but healing comes through wholeness. And it comes through a channel, you know, through a relationship between, let's say, two people. And it may be that one person in that relationship has uh, always in touch with their wholeness at the time more than the person who, for whom they are feeling compassion. You would hope so. You would hope that the the the, the person, the healer, or the, the or the clinician, or the the doctor, or the nurse, or would would be in touch with their own wholeness. It would be difficult for them to do their work if they were themselves, you know, sick and, and depressed or burned out, burnt out. Or, um, you know, I went years, many years ago, I went to see my GP and I, I, I just felt so sorry for him because he was struggling. He was clearly in, he was depressed. He didn't have to put him on the operating table to see, he was just really depressed. And he was trying, he was trying to, to do his work and trying to be, you know, pay attention. But um, he, he was just so tense and it was so difficult. So you would hope that the person to whom you went in need 
would be, at that moment anyway, more in touch with their, their own wholeness so that through compassion, along with all the other skills that they have, you hope, would be able to help you relieve the symptoms, but also bring you this non-measurable quality of healing, which comes through care, attention, and presence, and tenderness, you know, and uh, hu the, the human touch, really. So I think this is where we can have to think of of um, compassion in these stories. Here's, here's, here's a story from uh, <clears throat> chapter from Mark. They came to Jericho. Jericho is always a symbol of the world um, in, in the Bible. And as he was leaving the town with his disciples and a large crowd, he's always around a large crowd is always around him. Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was seated at the roadside. Hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, who he must have heard about, he began to shout, Son of David, Jesus, have pity on me. Many of the people told him to hold his tongue, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man. Take heart, they said, the people. Get up, he's calling to you. You know, the at that, he threw off his cloak, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man answered, I want my sight back. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has healed you. And at once he recovered his sight and followed him on the road. So we have to, I think we have to listen to the story here. And the, what the, the, the effect that the story has on us, rather than say, oh, this is, this is a, miracle story, this is a wonder tale, this is a... You have to take the story as it is, just don't judge it. Don't dismiss it, don't try and analyze it for the time being, just take it as it is. Suspend your disbelief. So here we see Bartimaeus this blind beggar, he was seated presumably at the same place he sat at every day, at the entrance to Jericho. And uh, he was a well-known figure. And then when he heard that, he heard the commotion, he heard that Jesus was well-known, 
person was there, he began to shout. The people said, oh, shut up. Stop shouting. But Jesus uh, heard him and, uh, and, and called him, called him. So then, of course, the people all say, oh, you're, you're, Jesus is calling you. So he goes and jumps to his feet and makes his way to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, one question, what do you want me to do for you? What, why is, what does that, it's not much of a consultation, is it? <laughs> Sounds like a, a busy GP. Okay, come in, sit down, what do you want? <laughs> What's another way of, of seeing, what, what else does that brevity suggest? Okay, maybe he did, yes, I suppose it's, yeah. Okay, he knew already. What else does it say? Why does he say it like that? Yes. What does it, what does it, do you know what you want? I was talking to a, somebody the other day and saying uh, they met somebody who who'd had a condition, actually an eye condition, and they'd lost the sight of one eye. And uh, he had had this for years. And then uh, they met somebody who actually said, well, actually, you, you know, it's quite, we now have techniques, you could have a cornea to transplant very easily now. We can fix that for you and give your sight back. And they never saw him again. He didn't want, didn't want to get better, actually. Afraid to have the procedure, maybe, yes. Or maybe, maybe being afraid of the change that being, having his sight back would be. Lived for 20 years with one eye and he was identifying himself with his, you know, in that way, I don't know. You'd have to be very focused, because he might have said, "Well, I actually, I, well, I, you know, well, actually, I've got a, a long list. Actually, you know, <laughs> I'd like to get a better seat uh, for my begging in the morning. I, I'd like to win the lottery. Uh, you know, I'd like to. Uh, I've got this pain in my neck as well. Do you need the Yes. So very direct and it, it's, it, it, there's compassion, we can see compassion at work here, but it's not sentimental, is it? Let's, let's, get, you know, just, let's get down to it. You know, it's almost to say, can you, are you ready to be healed? And your self-knowledge would be the, what you need on your side for this healing to take place.
remember it's more than just the physical condition that's the physical condition is more like a symbol here especially blindness is often a symbol of spiritual or you know spiritual blindness so there's something that's very direct we're talking about healing taking place in a relationship well what kind of relationship is it honest in, and it's also giving, it's respectful, yes. It's giving him the, um, the, uh, the dignity of being able to say what he wants rather than being told, this is what you need. Because, which is, you know, when you're, if you're under pressure and you can see somebody's got an obvious problem uh, then you deal with it, you say, okay, well, I know what you need, here it is, go away. Or this is what you've got to do, and uh, this solves your problem, okay, go, go off, the, send the next one in. But there's more to healing than that. The healing requires a relationship in which, of course, there is respect, and that you allow the other, you allow the person who is in need of healing at that moment, we're all in need of healing, but you allow that person who is in particular need specifically at that moment to become conscious of what they want, of what they need. They have to know it rather than being told it by the system or by the expert or by the specialist or whatever. They need to know. So, I think that's that's. It seems to me that's what something is. Something like that is happening here. What do you want me to do for you? It's both compassionate, and it's sort of almost detached too, doesn't it? You know, it's it's not saying okay, let's sit, let's sit down and have a fifty-minute consultation. And, you know, it's it's unsentimental, detached but also very intimate. And, uh, um, but non-intrusive. It's, it's, it's a very, I don't know, that's how, I, how you can see it. And then, what does the man say? I want my sight back. Rabbi, teacher, I would like my which is also sort of respectful too. He calls Jesus, you know, the, Jesus is showing a certain, a certain uh, detached intimacy with the man. In, in, you know, the man is in obvious distress and needs something, but Jesus keeps a little distance from him, respectful distance, allows him his space, and um, and the man is able then to r respond to Jesus again with this sort of dignity, rabbi. You know, he, he hasn't been medicalized. He hasn't been diminished. Or he hasn't been infantilized or objectified. So you need that, you need that distance for the intimacy actually to happen, to work, strangely enough. 
at least in this kind of relationship. So anyway, this scene, and then he says, I want my sight back. He, he answers the question, too. He doesn't say, please give me my sight back. He just responds exactly to the question. This is what I would like, actually. So it's a kind of non, there's a non-attachment in this, don't you feel? That the man is saying what he wants, but he's not, it's almost as if you just say, this is what I want, and I don't know if I'm going to get it, but that's what I want. So there's a, not, there's a non-attachment there to what he wants. But he wants it, he needs it. And there's a detachment also on the side, on the part of Jesus, who is not coming in all strong with all his compassion and swamping this, this guy and telling him what he needs. So it's, it's, it's human, human respect and compassion together. And then um, Jesus says to him, go, your faith has healed you. And at once he recovered his sight. So healing happens in a moment. Curing may take, you know, a long course of treatment. But healing is instantaneous. We're talking about healing happening in the moment. It's here and now. It's between, between us. Here and now. I mean, it has a process aspect to it, of course, but it is, it is felt here and now. And, uh, and it happens. So what, what, what happens? What happens in that moment between Jesus and the blind man? That, what does Jesus say? Your faith has healed you. What does that mean? Have you ever been in a situation where you, you feel really insecure and you don't uh, you doubt yourself, and then somebody says you know somebody encourages you and says I have faith in you. What does it feel like then? Yeah? So faith, it, is that belief? Yeah, you might say, I believe in you. But actually, well, I have faith in you. But it's not, I believe in the sense, um, I believe that you are sitting, you know, you are here, physically there, or... Will it give the person confidence? Yes, gives the person, what kind of confidence does it give? And trust, yes. There's trust. So what is faith then? Hmm. And what, what made that, what changed, that's a good way of putting it, what changed that sort of passive intellectual belief into something living? The interaction. The, what kind of interaction was it? Okay. So the faith that Jesus is saying heals us, 
is not just belief in, in some kind of magical power, it's, it's a conviction almost, or it's a, a trust. Um, Uh, that exist between two people. And on the one hand, and so when, we, when somebody says, I have faith in you, you can do it. You know, you, you, can, you can run that race, you can pass that exam, you can do whatever. Uh, I have faith in you, or you can do this job. Uh, that, that is trust and it gives, it changes the self-awareness of the person, the self-confidence of the person. That's one aspect of faith. There's an, another one, which is if when we say, for example, I was faithful to you. What does that mean? I was faithful to you. In our friendship, in our marriage, in our promise that we made each other. I was faithful. Yes, didn't cheat or lie, and maybe I wasn't perfect, but I was faithful, and uh, I stayed in relationship, isn't that what it means? You know, you could live with someone, but not be faithful to them. So it, the appearance might look like faith, but actually, it's, it's, it's just external. But the faith is about relationship. So you have two things here. I think you have the trust, which comes about because, because of this relationship. You can't say why or where it came from, but there is this trust that uh, unites you to somebody. And there's also the, the relationship that you stay in, you stay in that relationship, you trust the relationship. So that becomes the, the force then, the channel through which compassion travels. And that's the healing. And Jesus doesn't say, I have healed you using my magical powers, you know? He says, your faith has healed you. It doesn't even say God has healed you. Says, your faith, your trust, your being in relationship with me, even in these few moments, in these few seconds. That's enough time for this uh, healing to, to happen. And remember, it's more than just the cure, more than... The, the, the blindness, the physical blindness here is a symbol of something deeper in the human person. <laughs>